0: Is USC football turning a corner when it comes to recruiting in the trenches? Getting a commitment from Micah Benuelos is having Trojan fans hoping that that's the case. And uh, Washington is doing a recruiting turnaround themselves. But how exactly has that happened so quickly with Kalen DeBoer? We'll discuss all of that today. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. And uh, the dead period on the recruiting trail is over, which means our director of recruiting here at the Locked On Network and at Sports Illustrated as well is back, John Garcia, Jr., uh, you had your vacation, you had your break, but time time to get back to work here, John. No, no more vacations for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no more vacations. Football season is here. So like a lot of college coaches, I'm like, let me just try to get away for just a little snippet here in July. But yeah, it, it is game time. Happy to be back. A lot to get to. And uh, yeah, recruiting uh, did not take a break uh, aligned with, with my break, unfortunately. But we're, we're caught up now. We're ready to go.
0: It seemingly never does, and I'll just uh, gloss over the fact that I'm taking one more vacation here this summer for a couple weeks. But uh, anyway, uh, so I want to start with, with USC, and so far they're recruiting at a very high level in the class of 2023, and that's to be expected. You bring in Lincoln Riley, who had top 10 classes Uh, pretty much year in and year out, whilst at Oklahoma, you go to a place in USC where you have more players in in your backyard and a very strong recruiting brand and uh, maybe more resources. I I don't know, like from an administrative standpoint, but it's not as if Oklahoma isn't committed to football first and foremost, but it's certainly got a higher ceiling as a program when it comes to recruiting. But the one area, at least so far, it's still somewhat early in the cycle uh, where USC has not been Finding a great deal of success is in the trenches. The offensive line and defensive line recruits have not rolled in the way that that wide receivers, running backs, and of course a quarterback with Malachi Nelson have, or uh, even a couple of defensive players a- as well. What do you make of that at this point? Do you think it's just uh, coincidental that you know kids' timelines haven't worked out that way, or, or do you think there there's anything there with regards to USC? At this point, not having recruited the offensive and defensive lines amazingly well.
1: Well, I will say that, yeah, out, out west, the offensive line class isn't maybe as good as we've seen in years past. And I think some of the defensive linemen out west are kind of taking their time. I know we'll hit on Mateo Young and at some point, but yeah, a lot of the best are, are in that timeline where they're in no rush to, to make that uh, verbal commitment. So I do think those things are, are factors, but there's no doubt that the the skill position recruiting has just farly exceeded uh, what, what, what we thought they could do at USC relative to the offensive and defensive lines. you know so there's definitely some catch up that needs to be um, had there and I, I think they're on their way.'re they're, they're starting to claw back and, and and get some prospects with with some meat on their bones on the commitment list, but it's taken some time, you know, and I think the perception of Lincoln Riley as, as this offensive guy, skill position, quarterback developer, all that, Sometimes hurts in the recruitment of of the guys who are more built for the point of attack, and especially when you look at some of the schools in the conference where we know Utah's known for that. We know Oregon previously has been known for that, and Dan Landing is very similar in wanting to build from the inside out up at Oregon. So I think that factors in. Stanford has always been good in the trenches, so I do think that there's some Pac-12 kind of. Uh, You know, schools that are a little bit more established on that front that may have contributed to some of that uh, as well. But, you know, like you said, early in the cycle, still some big time targets out there. And a couple have come off the board in favor of the Cardinal and gold. So I think it'll work out. But no doubt uh, the skill position recruiting is is well ahead of the pace comparatively. Uh,
0: One guy who Trojan fans hope are going to start to shift that at least a a little bit, because now for, you know, at least the next. Uh, one or two, but probably three years with the transfer portal. I think you can safely say they're set with with their skill positions. Uh, you know, even though they'll they'll graduate Travis Dye after this year. I don't remember if Austin Jones has another year. Uh, he might, but I, I do also don't anticipate USC uh, struggling to bring in uh, running backs yeah. in that sense. But they did get an offensive line commitment recently from Micah Banuelos, a guy who uh, who had Oregon after him and looked like they were trending for him, but USC was able to come in and get his commitment. Texas. AM was also involved in his recruitment. How did this play out? And what do you think that uh, this does for the Trojans on the recruiting trail?
1: Yeah, this is uh, it could be the, the change, right? It could be one of the Kickstarters, the catalysts of. Of maybe more success at the position. And you went into Pac-12 enemy territory to do so up in Washington. So I thought that was a big deal from the Ben Willis perspective. Uh and then yeah, you know, the official visit obviously went incredibly well. And there's there's some general momentum with USC. I, I think that was part of, of that conversation as well. We know offensively in particular, it's just going to be a little bit easier for, for them to recruit. And, and this is a different style of recruit than we're used to seeing. Uh, under Lincoln Riley, typically zone blocking, pass protector first type of recruits flock to to his commitment list. But this is the opposite. Vanuelos is a mobile, physical grunt at the point of contact that is a people mover. I mean, he's a more comfortable run blocker. He pulls a ton at the high school level. So he's a different type of attitude, trench, setting the tone type of player then we're usually associating with offensive linemen committed to Lincoln Riley. So I do think it's a nice change of pace in that regard, just as much as it is for USC fans to say, Hey, we just need big bodies anyway. So I think it's, it's kind of a double whammy on the positive front uh, for USC. And it could be the start of uh, of a nice group down the line. Cause we know, the rest of the prospects are going to look good at USC, Tackett Curtis, a recent commitment big time linebacker, and we know they're set, you know, skill position wise as well. So I think it'll it'll be a, a potential top 10 class, uh, like we talked about, you know, we're used to seeing under Lincoln Riley, but they do, they do need a little bit more in the trenches, and this is a heck of a start to to continue to push that narrative.
0: I think when people think about Lincoln Riley and the offenses that he's had at Oklahoma over the years, certainly It's it's very pass heavy. I mean, you think of him as the quarterback or the college quarterback whisperer, right? I mean, you have back to back number one overall picks. Then you have Jalen Hurts, who's now starting in uh, the NFL. Caleb Williams will be a high draft pick as well. Rattler didn't quite work out the way that they thought, but still is uh, a power five capable college quarterback and and did some a lot of good things and had some hype in his career's kind of going in a different direction. Interested to see what he does in South Carolina uh, this season. But I, I bring all that up to say that Lincoln Riley does want to run the football. And I talked about this recently uh, on the show with regards to the expectations that Trojan fans should have for him in, in year one. And I think that they should be able to run the ball better and more than they did in the last couple of seasons where they had an air raid attack. And yes, Caleb Williams would throw the ball plenty and you have all these great receivers. You're going to, to to spread the pigskin around as much as you can. But I, I feel like, you know, getting a commitment like this reinforces my belief that Lincoln Riley wants to run the ball more than you think. Like it may be pass first, but he is not an air raid coach. He wants to use play action. He wants to pull guys around. So to me, to hear you say that you know he's someone who pulls up into holes uh, a lot at, at the high school level makes a lot of sense as to why USC was after him.
1: 100, yeah. I mean, if you look at Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, some of these running backs uh, that were at Oklahoma the last few years, they're pretty darn good. And, and there's yeah. some of the banner moments that you think of with uh, with Oklahoma in general uh, came uh, in that regard. So yeah, definitely wants to run the ball again. More known for not running it. But definitely wants to run the football and understands that, especially if you talk about this Big Ten transition that that's about to happen, you're going to have to do more of that consistently uh, to win uh, year in, year out, especially as the calendar gets closer to, to the new year. So, yeah, I think that's a good table setting and game changing type of commitment to get uh, who fits what you want to do more so than what people think you want to do. So, yeah, this is a this is a great moment now for usc offensively which is something we're probably going to keep saying from
0: a recruiting and on-field standpoint oh there's another big-time recruit there after we'll tell you who after tell you that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds lines and games find reviews and news of every league including major league baseball Go Mariners. Got a rep. NFL, NBA, NHL, combat, sports, esports, and even my personal favorite, golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts they have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. BetOnline is where the game starts. No surprise that the Trojans uh, are continuing to go big game hunting in uh, the trenches on either side of the ball. And one guy who they're after, and we've discussed here on the show is Mateo Uyunglele, who's also got another Pac-12 school in Oregon in the mix, but it's a very national recruitment as well. You've got Ohio State as a, a candidate to, to snag him from the state of California. And uh, I, I want to ask you, John, where is he at in in his recruitment, his timeline? Is there a lean? And you know how likely is it that he ends up choosing one of those Pac-12 schools?
1: Very interesting recruit to track. I do think the timeline has been consistent with him. You know, Mateo has really taken the recruiting process in stride and at his own pace. And I think that's something, first of all, he's elite enough from a coveted perspective to, to be afforded, right? He can wait as long as he wants and people are going to wait for him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, But he's also handled it, you know, kind of conservatively, very reserved, a type of recruit you got to go to his dad on social media a little bit more for some clarity on on what Mateo going on. yeah yeah big Dave (laughs) shout out to him um but yeah this it's the same kind of core group of schools right USC Oregon Ohio State Clemson Georgia Alabama in that conversation to a degree as well but I think geography starting to to come in play here I think the West Coast schools are generating a little bit more buzz if we had to push east i think ohio state might be that third school uh, but we don't hear as much about the sec schools or clemson to this point uh, as much as we hear about usc oregon and a little bit of ohio state so i do think that his race could start to narrow in the coming weeks and months but there's really no rush for mateo to end the process himself with a verbal commitment so i i do think uh unless there's a change there We'll probably still see some back and forth uh, from from some of the buzz uh, around some of these programs. But, yeah, USC, obviously the local school, the local angle that the rebirth, the the coaching staff change, all of that stuff makes a lot of sense. You know, Big Dave told me a few months ago that the previous staff really didn't have a shot, you know, for for Mateo. But this one does because the. Conversation has changed. Same thing with, with the folks up at Oregon under Dan Lanning. The, the the feeling has changed up at Oregon. And that's why they're they're still so very much in the mix. You you mix in Mateo's personal interests, which is music, the Polynesian culture, and, and the representation there at USC, Oregon, and Ohio State, believe it or not. And then that becomes, you know, kind of an interesting subtext to look at this recruitment uh, in the scope of as well. So fascinating (laughs) siri has been all over me today, and and she thinks Mateo's probably going to Pac-12 as well. Um, (laughs) So I think if if the buzz is true there, sooner the better for the Pac-12 programs. But I do think because he's so coveted um, and he's been a recruit for such a long time, he's been known since his eighth, ninth grade year that he's probably going to run its course with the entire process, allow the season to play out, see how some of these new coaching staffs look, right? USC and Oregon under new management, see how some of those groups look defensively. He's also just now buying into the fact that he's going to be a defender first. That's not something a year ago he knew. There was a lot of tight end buzz. He's a very good tight end prospect, uh, but he has since shifted his focus to the defensive line, and I think that will help narrow how he watches some of these teams perform during the season. So it's a good time to have good buzz with Mateo, but there's still a long way to go.
0: And I think both USC and Oregon would prefer to have him as an edge prospect on the defensive line rather than as a tight end. Not that, you know, Lincoln Riley hasn't had a lot of success with tight ends over the years he, he most definitely has but from a roster standpoint and looking at, at the totality of the football teams there that are involved in the Pac-12 I think that they're they're both definitely looking at looking at him on uh, the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned a recruiting turnaround in a sense with USC and they've done that so far and we'll see how high they can go but another Pac-12 school that's undergoing a recruiting turnaround pretty quickly is Washington With Caelan DeBoer. And when you have a new coach, it can create, you know, that, that sense of excitement and hope and, and optimism that can be used to, to sell recruits on, on your program and why they should come there. But I still didn't expect Washington to to do a 180 on the recruiting trail as quickly as they have. The potential was always there, right? We know they can recruit at a top 20 level nationally, probably not top 10. We haven't seen that, but top 20 is definitely, you know, where their ceiling is at. And Kalen DeBoer is knocking on the door of that right now. I think their last time I looked in the 24-7 uh, composite rankings, their, their 2023 class is uh, in the low 20s, kind of that 22, 23-ish range nationally. And this is a guy in Kalen DeBoer who's never been a Power 5 head coach before. And that's what I want to ask you about. He's now the head man at Washington. He hasn't even been a head coach very long at the Division I level. He was at Fresno State for two years. They, of course, uh, had a great 2021 season. They beat Fresno, or they beat UCLA. They very nearly beat Oregon at uh, Autzen Stadium as well. How do you think Kalen DeBoer is navigating that so successfully to where he's able to go in and get uh, some noteworthy recruits here when he hasn't even shown yet that he can win at the power five level.
1: Well, I think two fronts make a lot of sense here, Spencer. One, you when you do make that transition, you got to go with the bread and butter. And and I think for DeBoer, the quarterback position and offensive recruiting in particular was something that he knew he probably needed to start building this recruiting class with. And, and it started with a really big upset, picking up Lincoln Keyholtz over Wisconsin and North Dakota State, which, my gosh, those are... Programs that, you know, compared to the brand new feel of Washington, feel a lot more stable, right? The programs that have have an identity that is very clear, but you go out and get a quarterback from the Dakotas uh, with with a ton of upside uh, as a bit of an upset. I think that was a a real turning point in building this recruiting class. So you expect that uh, to help with offensive recruiting, and it certainly has. You know, I think 10 prospects are committed on the offensive side of the ball right now and then you go to the geographical bread and butter you're in the pac-12 but you've got california roots and so do a lot of these assistant coaches and that certainly helps you know i think 10 of the 18 commitments are from the golden state so i do think that helps in such a, a wide variety that's an area where every pac-12 school has to recruit but i would say washington among almost all those schools maybe didn't have to rely on it as much in years past right the seattle metro very good in football and they do have a brand that has stretched a little bit more nationally than than a lot of folks realize but uh, DeBoer deborah's gonna go back to his bread and butter and, and work uh some california recruits so i think that has been another advantageous element of trying to make this transition uh and they they made the most of the summer you know the summer official visit window has really changed the sport and and look, when kids go to Seattle, it, it feels totally different than a lot of these programs nationally. You know, we talk about college football and the passion and these little college towns with great restaurants and all this stuff. That's cool. But a lot of kids come from big cities and want to go play college ball in a big city. So presenting that in the summertime in particular in Seattle, I think, was really, really big. Uh, for, for the first impressions uh, for a lot of these recruits. And that's why in June and July, we've seen such volume headed UW's way. 14 of the 18 commitments committed in June or July. So we were talking about early summer as Washington being one of the most disappointing programs. No quarterback committed, no volume, and just kind of like what's going on up there. And then the perception has totally changed in a matter of 60 days because of those visit windows, California getting that quarterback in the fold all kind of lining up together. So I think it's been a nice formula for DeBoer. And now he'll get to supplement that with his on-field impression, you know, early in his his first season uh, at the helm there in Seattle, where, you know, the expectations aren't through the roof. So he's got a chance to exceed them just like he did at Fresno State.
0: A couple of guys that that he's gotten committed verbally in the class of 2023 that that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Rashid Williams, a wide receiver. I'll get to him in a moment. But uh, early contender for best name in the class of 2023 uh, defensive back, Curly Reed. I mean, that just rolls right off the tongue. And, And this is a guy who you and I were talking about this before we came on to record. He's from the state of Louisiana. And when we were discussing him, you at one point uh, said to me, like, how, how did they get this guy? And he, he's, he's a four-star prospect. And, you know, to me, my, my initial answer to that question of how they go, how Washington goes into Louisiana and pulls out a guy who had offers from uh, some other notable schools is they have that reputation nationally as being DBU. I mean, the list of guys, they just had two guys go in the NFL draft in the first and second round. That's only helping their reputation here. I think that has to have contributed at least a a little bit. And you talked about how DeBoer is focused, you know, on the offensive side of the ball recruiting because he's a former offensive coordinator and figures to be Washington's play caller now and and in the future as well. But uh, this is the sort of guy that, that you want to be bringing in uh, to, right, on the defensive side of the ball, is this the sort of prospect who could be kind of that next really good corner for the Huskies? Absolutely.
1: You know, he's got great length, 6'1, 185 or so, runs really well, and he's competing in Louisiana. Lake Charles Prep is, is you know, right outside of New Orleans. This is a great program uh, that has produced a lot of great players. So I do think that he could profile as one of those next great players uh, to line up at corner for the Huskies. And, and he said it in his commitment video, he kind of wanted to shock the world. He he looked uh, well beyond the SEC ACC kind of regional footprint. You know, he took a trip to TCU, and then he took that official to, to Washington. And, and like I said, the big city vibes for a kid with New Orleans ties just kind of make more sense than we we talk about uh, in, in the recruiting landscape. So that certainly resonated with Reed, um, and you get it right. You know, a priority premium position type of player and that's what washington's known for churning out defensive backs so continuing that legacy and going outside the box which was clearly the intent for reed in in terms of tracking his actual visits because they weren't to florida state and lsu and those schools they were well beyond i think that was part of of kind of the stars aligning for washington and he ended up canceling some trips thereafter so again the impact of those summer visits you, you gotta identify the target Communicate with them and secure the visit, uh, and then you got to close thereafter. But just the front end of that formula clearly, what was a game changer for Curly Reed, and he's probably after Keyholts, who we talked about, probably the class headliner in, in the early look at this uh, UW class of 2023. So big get, and and yeah, well outside of the traditional footprint, we've seen that a little bit, right? Uh, we talked about Keyholts from the Dakotas, Louisiana represented. They got a kid from Minnesota. On board a couple from Texas as well. So this is going to be a little bit of a different recruiting territorial approach from DeBoer, who's going to rely on California, but not just that Pac-12 footprint.
0: You know, I've never been to New Orleans and I've always wanted to go because it's one of the great food cities in the world. That is, I mean, you know, I want to play golf everywhere on the planet that I possibly can. and, And I know there's some decent golf down there, but Gosh, I've always, I need to have real authentic New Orleans gumbo. That's some. That is on. That's on my my bucket list, and uh, I, I'm sure that he's uh, had it more than a few times. Maybe if I ever get in touch with him or somehow I'd uh, I ask him about his his favorite spots down there. But uh, a guy he might be going up against in practice is uh, Rasheed Williams, who again another four star for Washington to add to a class. That's why they're. Uh, 2023 recruiting rankings are looking really uh, uh, pretty good right now. I I think Williams potentially brings a lot to the table as uh, a weapon in the future for what Washington fans will hope will be uh, coming from passes coming from Sam Heward's left arm. We'll we'll see when that eventually happens. You figure it's got to (laughs) happen at some point. Doesn't appear to be 2022, but... At some point, you figure that guy has to be uh, the starter, and let's assume that that happens. What sort of weapon could he have here in Williams, who's a little bit thinner? And my first reaction when I saw his size was like, all right, got a lot of potential, but maybe needs to put on a little bit of weight in his senior year before he hits campus in Seattle.
1: And look, that will come uh, with Rasheed 6'2", listed at, what, 180, 175 or so. Uh, that will come. And I think he just does so much that that enhances his athletic profile, but maybe doesn't help that, that physical prowess come to a heat either. He plays multiple sports. I think he's a three-sport guy at the varsity level from, from Pittsburgh, California, same school as Jaden Rashada, one of the top quarterback recruits. Uh, in this class of 2023. And he's his go-to guy. I mean, those two have paired together extremely well. and, And Williams committed to Washington before Rashada came off the board. So you're talking about a kid kind of doing his own thing, just like Curly Reed. Williams is, is in that same boat because the dogs were really not in it for Rashada at the latter stages of, of his own recruitment but kid profiles extremely well athletically got great size runs well the track and basketball background I think at the receiver or any cat, uh, pass catching position is a big deal all of that comes together really nicely in his game there's some balance there's some polish to his route running and there's some production I think that's something we don't talk enough about with the receiver position. We talk about it a ton with quarterbacks, running backs. Hey, what what is his yards per carry? But the production as a wide receiver, double-digit touchdowns as a junior last year, that's something that is certainly notable because you know when you're playing Jaden Rashada, he's going to throw the ball, and this is his top guy, and he still was able to put up considerable numbers uh, against good competition up in in Northern California. So I do think all that stuff lines up really well uh, for Williams uh, headed to Washington, but yeah, nice get uh, pairs really well with what you want to do offensively. I think he could be a boundary wide receiver. He could probably work a little bit in the slot depending on how much he does fill out at the next level. But again, the length, the athletic profile, the production here, all boxes that are checked for a legitimate blue chip wide receiver.
0: Washington doing well on the recruiting trail, and we are always doing well to get John Garcia Jr. on, the Director of Recruiting at Sports Illustrated. Good to have you back, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, my friend. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.